This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, October the 19th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, the TD Lab has introduced a free online plugin for people with disabilities. Samantha Estoesta tells you all about the TD Accessibility Adapter. Here's a question for you. What are the most overlooked places to visit in Canada? Dawn Dickinson weighs in with her thoughts in a preview of a special edition of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. And it can be hard to avoid online shopping. It's also real tough to find some of those sales. So how can you get the most bang for your buck? Aaron Broverman will give tips on bargain hunting online and maybe a little bit of a tip on impulse control as well. Like I told you uh, earlier in the week, someone late at night on Saturday bought an electric guitar, even though they have not touched their own guitar for the majority of this year. And then of course, rolling down the hill occurred of, oh, you need an amp and a tuner and some cloths to clean the guitar, and on and on and on the slippery slope goes. But the show begins not about my musical endeavors, but the top story of the day. Canadian banks have been ranked by J.D. Power. Don Kelly deposits this report. BMO unseated the Royal Bank, which came in a close second in this year's survey. CIBC was third. Tangerine Bank took the top spot among the mid-sized banks for the 12th year in a row. J.D. Power says its study found more customers have been paying fees over the past year for things like overdrafts, minimum account balances, and ABM fees. Nearly 80% of customers say the banks could do a better job at communicating how to avoid those fees. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. So I played that story not so much about the rankings of the bank by J.D. Power, because you as an individual probably have your own experience with Canadian banks and the way you deal with them. But I want Parker Oxtoby in our control room to play that story one more time, because there's part of that story at the end that I think is particularly interesting. So Parker, can you roll that one again? BMO unseated the Royal Bank, which came in a close second in this year's survey. CIBC was third. Tangerine Bank took the top spot among the mid-sized banks for the 12th year in a row. J.D. Power says its study found more customers have been paying fees over the past year for things like overdrafts, minimum account balances, and ABM fees. Nearly 80% of customers say the banks could do a better job at communicating how to avoid those fees. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. So leave the ABM fees essentially using a uh, ATM that isn't part of your main bank hitting you with a fee out of that conversation. Overdraft fees on the rise and minimum balance fees on the rise. I know you're so sick of me talking about interest rates and the economy and the possibility of a recession. 
And so oftentimes, a lot of the information that's framed to you is in the macro. The generalized unemployment rate, or the overall GDP numbers, or the $70 million, a billion dollar Microsoft acquisition of Activision. But when you start thinking about the microeconomics, people getting hit with fees for having no money in their account, or not having the minimum money in their account, that's when you start realizing about the consequences of at least economic strife. So those are just little things, but you also get reports that are coming out quarterly from institutions like Equifax about the amount of personal debt on the rise and consumer debt and credit card debt of Canadians. These are some of the factors that really need to be considered in the broader conversation of the economy, not just the generalized inflation number. It's how it's impacting people and the consideration of who it's impacting. Okay, I'll stop. You're sick of me talking about the ec economy. <laughs> I've got one more story for you. Speaking of banks, Scotiabank has laid off over 3,000 employees. Here once again is Don Kelly. Scotiabank says the cuts are the result of changes at the bank and in its customers' daily banking preferences, as well as its continuing efforts to streamline operations. The bank's also announced it'll take charges totaling $590 million after tax in its fourth quarter, related to those cuts and other changes it's making. The charges include $247 million for restructuring and severance provisions. Scotiabank says it'll provide further details when it releases its fourth quarter results at the end of November. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press, Toronto. Okay, indulge me on this next one. As you know, I've been sharing all the drama related to U.S. Congress and their inability to name a Speaker of their House of Representatives. Well, things are really starting to deteriorate in the quest for finding a speaker. Jim Ryan has the latest. Nebraska Republican Don Bacon was a hard no on Jim Jordan, and he says someone texted and called his wife warning her if he didn't switch his vote, they'd help vote him out of office. Trying to bully my wife is, is wrong. Iowa Republican Marionette Miller-Meek says she received credible death threats after voting against Jim Jordan. Jordan saying he had nothing to do with those calls or texts and condemned them. Andy Field, ABC News, Washington. Meanwhile, in Canada, parliamentarians are being told to button up their behavior by new speaker Greg Fergus. Lisa Laporte has the story. Fergus rose before a question period on Wednesday to say behaviour in the House has deteriorated over the years. He says heckling from MPs intended to intimidate and drown out others has become boorish, rude and insulting. Fergus, who was elected Speaker at the beginning of October, says while he's committed to protecting MPs' freedom of speech, questionable language and provocative statements will not be tolerated. Lisa Laporte, The Canadian Press. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. with a C on Facebook. On Wednesday, you were asked, do you manage your daily screen time? 30% of you said yes, and 70% of you said nah. Studio Brock tweets in on Twitter, at Accessible Media. I own nearly as much tech as Stephen Scott, that of course being one of the hosts of Double Tap and Access Tech Live, which hits the airwaves on AMI-TV at noon today. So that's going to be a no. Even when I'm playing music, I'm either using my Mac to play back stuff, using it to record, or using my iPad to configure my studio amps. It does not help 
that I volunteer and work on devices too. I think Studio Brock hit the nail on the head right there, as was pointed out to you yesterday. The cell phone is basically an alarm clock, so it's pretty much the first thing you touch every single morning. Today's Daily Poll, Don Dickinson will be talking about this in just a couple of minutes in her preview of McLean's magazine. Underrated Canadian regions and underrated places to travel. So I'm asking you at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, what is the most underrated region to visit in Canada? I've got four options for you here. The prairies, the north, the Atlantic, and other. I really grappled with these four options to not put sort of Ontario and Quebec or the Pacific. But I don't know, like maybe my bias suggests that kind of everybody knows that Vancouver's cool and like everybody knows that Montreal is cool and everybody knows that Toronto is like the worst city uh, known to mankind. But I also thought to myself, the people who will be chiming in on this poll as part of the segment one conversation are located in the prairies in the Atlantic. So I wanted to curry favor with them, starting with John Lepke, who's going to be filling in for Alex Smythe in the co-host role for a couple days here. John, what's the most underrated region to visit in Canada? Uh, I'm going to go uh, not off the board, but maybe what not what you would expect me to say, which um, I've always found the, the Atlantic provinces. I got to spend some time playing sports in the Atlantic provinces. Um, when I'm not at home, uh, love me some, some Halifax food. So there's John in the prairies giving some love to the Atlantic. John's out there in Saskatchewan. Laura Bain is in the Halifax Regional Municipality. Laura, are you ready to give some love from the Atlantic to the prairies? <laughs> well, you know, speaking to my my heart there, um, I, I just can't say if the prairies are underrated because I haven't been there. Um, it's definitely a place I would like to visit, you know, thinking of some of the places that I've been in Canada, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, as you mentioned, Dave, I just don't think those are underrated. Um, now, maybe it's because I'm a fish sort of swimming in the water. I didn't, I was surprised to see Atlantic Canada on this list because I didn't realize it was underrated. Um, certainly tourism is a big part of our economy here, mm. but, um, you know, I, I feel lucky to have, I feel lucky to live here from a staycation perspective, um, because there's quite a bit of diversity in terms of you, you've got fishing villages and rolling farmlands. You've got, uh, like downtown Halifax, bigger city, and you've got more rugged kind of coastline or the highlands or even, you know, gross more national parks. So, uh, if the Atlantic provinces are underrated, um, I don't think they should be. But as I say, I'll have to I'll have to look at what these polls tell me tomorrow mm. for maybe uh, choosing my next destination. I'd love to go to both the north and the prairies, but sadly have not haven't gotten there yet. I wonder if the Atlantic is becoming less underrated because certainly I'd say in the last decade or so, there's both been a population shift out to the Atlantic. But I think a lot of people have also put together, oh, it's only really a 90-minute flight from Toronto or Montreal to Halifax or an even shorter flight to, like, Fredericton, New Brunswick. And it's like, oh, these are cool towns. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's hard maybe as someone who lives here to feel like it's underrated right now when literally everybody from Central and Western Canada <laughs> seems to have moved here during the during the pandemic. <laughs> well, I'm going to hold my answer because this is going to be a topic with uh, Don Dickinson in literally about two and a half minutes. So uh, stay tuned for my thoughts on this one, but I appreciate John and Laura chiming in. Now it's your turn to get involved in the conversation at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, Facebook, or come on, get them fingertips fired up, head over to the keyboard and send an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a ring. Before you call your travel agents, call the show, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Canadian travel is the topic of the next conversation. What is the most overlooked place to visit in Canada? A new edition of McLean's Magazine explores that question, and Don Dickinson, the content curator of that show, will weigh in with her thoughts, and you'll hear some thoughts from me, and I'm going to attempt to describe a very complicated picture that I took on my uncle's deck. So... Watch for the blind guy trying to describe video. That's going to be the real key of the next segment. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Here's a question for you. What is your favorite place to travel in Canada? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you answer, there's a caveat. Beyond the notable tourist destinations, what is your favorite place to travel in Canada? This can be an easy question to answer, or it can be a hard one, depending how often you get oot and a boot. There's a lot of gems across the country that get overlooked, and that's exactly what McLean's Magazine is exploring in a recent travel feature entitled Off the Beaten Path. Dawn Dickinson is the content curator of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. She has a lot to say on this subject, and so do I. Good morning, Dawn. Hi there, Dave. How are you? Don, I am excellent. I love this topic. Just before we jump into the uh, under, the overlooked, to your mind, what are some of the major tourist beds that uh, may hog the spotlight in Canada? Well, there's, there's a lot, obviously. You know, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, all those guys, yeah, right? Yeah, but, you I know, could, one of the I ones could, that I was... I could spend an hour and 40 minutes, the next hour and 40 minutes, talking about how much I love Vancouver. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And and to your earlier point, I happen to love Toronto, Dave. Oh. <laughs> uh, Don, don't pull back the curtain too much here. I just like people to know that even though the show is based in Toronto, that at least someone's willing to uh, shake a rattle at it sometimes on the show. <laughs> you know, this is a national television program, Don. It's very important to sometimes <laughs> take shots at the center of the universe. I know, but I was born here. I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I do think there is something to be said for people who've been here for maybe 20 or 25 years or or longer. Yeah, 29 in your case, Don. Um, oh, that, thank uh, you, 
that, uh, that like, I think maybe there's something about like a familiarity and comfort with the city. But I think for people like me, who've only been here for three years. It's like, oh man, concrete and glass everywhere and just very, very people-y. Anyway, enough about Toronto. Uh, this, this segment is specifically supposed to be not about Toronto. So the, the this particular edition of the magazine has 10 surprising destinations. There's not enough time to talk about all 10, but there's a few that jumped off the list for you and a few that jumped off the list for me. So let's kind of go one at a time, Don. Why did White Horse jump off the page for you? Well, I, I was really surprised at some of the stats. Um, first of all, it's a population of uh, 30,000 people. Mm. It has a small town feel, which is, when you think about it, 30,000 people, that's not exactly a small town. But but it, it, according to the author of this article, it does have a small town feel. But really... Um, they're saying that it has a very vibrant arts and culture scene and even participates in Nuit Blanche, which I thought was really interesting, you yeah. know, because you think of that as a very, uh, you know, like a Toronto, Montreal kind of uh, scene, you know? Yeah, I, I was blown away with the week I spent in uh, Whitehorse a couple of years ago to film a travel documentary. Like you said, small town vibe but a lot of amenities and sort of modernism where modernism is appropriate and mm -hmm. a little bit of like throwback and rustic where that's appropriate too. Indoorsman, outdoorsman, I really enjoyed it. That said, I was there in June. I don't know about 24 hours of darkness in the middle of January. And I'm, and yeah. I, and I'm, and I'm a prince of darkness over here. I don't like the sun. <laughs> well, yeah, true, true. Yeah, yeah. It, it would take some getting used to, I would imagine. But, you know. What the hey? You could try it out. For sure. Don, speaking of the nor or the north, <laughs> I'm, I'm working ahead there. You also found the feature about Le Côte Nord in Quebec to be quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was really blown away by the stats on, um, you know, the the, the uh, nature in the area. Uh, 13 species uh, of whales in the area, including humpbacks um, and uh, belugas and the very hard to spot blue whales. Um, whale watching tours depart regularly from towns along the water and sharp eyed landlubbers. I love that word. Landlubbers <laughs> can often catch glimpses of uh, hunting minks and so really i mean that that alone would draw me to that area i think i would uh, and and there's some very uh, lovely islands in the area that you can stay on mm. uh, they've uh, they've developed it a little more over the over the pandemic and of course that that was your earlier point in the earlier segment a lot of these smaller areas have been developed over the pandemic because there's been such an influx of uh, people leaving the larger cities and going to smaller areas so don i also found one of the quebec features to be really interesting that's the north that's the north of quebec I'm going to southeastern Quebec in the Bas-Saint-Laurent area. So that's southeastern Quebec. Let's say you were driving to New Brunswick from, say, Montreal or Quebec City. You would pass through the Bas-Saint-Laurent. And I want to give a huge shout-out to one of my oldest and best friends, 
Caitlin Walsh Miller, who wrote this article. Kate is just an amazing journalist who covers a wide range of national interest topics. Caitlin Walsh Miller, one of the best in the business. So I was delighted to see her blurb and her feature featured in the special edition of McLean's magazine, but also more specifically, very similar to your thought about Le Côte Nord in Quebec, the, uh, the northern part of the province and the natural mm-hmm. beauty. It's the same thing as you're working your way through the eastern part of the province. And there's so much incredible shoreline and water and nature that is just a natural beaut. But what I didn't know, and Kate featured this in her feature, wineries and food (laughs) and culture, like the things that actually make a travel experience extra pleasurable, what I would sort of call the amenity of it all. Yes, absolutely, Dave. Absolutely. What was your other choice, Dave? So the other one I had was Seashilt, British Columbia. What's really cool about Seashilt, it's on the Sunshine Coast. You can get there in less than two hours from downtown Vancouver. And and the only way you can get there from downtown Vancouver, unless you're going to fly, involves a ferry. And these BC ferry rides from the north part of Vancouver onto the coast, it's only about an hour, but I just love riding on the boat, Don, and it's just top tier. I, forgive me for one second here. I'm going to turn to the big screen that I have in my studio here because our uh, production room has thrown up a picture that I took from the Sunshine Coast off my uncle's balcony, which is at the wow. top of the hill in Seashilt at sunset overlooking the cove of the Pacific Ocean with a bit of purple and yellow and blue in the skyline, overlooking the mountains surrounding the cove. There's these beautiful green conifer trees alongside just sort of a lot of rocks and nature. Don, Seashield, British Columbia is a place that I would recommend anybody go visit, but I've had a chance to visit a number of times to spend time with my uh, my uncle and my late aunt, Rosemary, and I've just had some of the most wonderful times, not just spending time with family, but meeting people who truly care about community, whether they're young or they're old, there's a very vibrant coming together and knowing your neighbors, and I know that that exists in a lot of places in Canada, but as someone who's been a condo dweller for the better part of uh, a decade and a half now, you kind of forget what it means to spend time on a deck with neighbors and that special connection. So that's why Seashult really spoke to me. Wow. Wow. I think you had an interesting experience with wildlife there, didn't you? I uh, definitely uh, found some bear poop uh, outside my (laughs) uncle's uh, yard one morning, which was, uh, I'm going to call it mildly concerning. Uh, Don, (laughs) you had one more that jumped out to you. And 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 this sort of goes to Laura's point from the previous segment, but I don't know if this place is overlooked or underrated, but St. John's, Newfoundland. Yeah, well, we were out there about a decade ago uh, for um, for Ross's graduation ceremony, actually probably more than a decade now. And, you know, we did all the typical things and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we, we went to all the typical places and whatnot. But the article is saying that it's really, really changed, um, uh, you know, much more diverse. And uh, some 2,500 immigrants came to the province between 2022 and 2023. That's something. I mean, they, they really had a an influx of people coming in, you know. Fresh culture, so, yeah. Like a, fre- a, yeah. Fresh, a fresh influx of culture into the city. 
Yeah. And what that means, Dave, is that they've had, um, you know, those those folks that are coming in, they're bringing new tastes, they're bringing uh, new restaurants. Um, and this is a really interesting fact. Newfoundland is, is the only province in Canada where restaurants can legally shoot and serve game to customers. Oh. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wild? <laughs> literally quite wild. It's literally wild. Uh, Don, got to be a little quick on this one. I do want to shout out at least a couple places that didn't make this list and I don't know that they're overlooked but as I've explained before as somebody who's legally blind who can't drive a lot of my travel does tend to be limited to cities and there's a couple cities in the prairies that I think deserve some love I think a city like Winnipeg is criminally underrated as a place to go visit maybe not in the depths of winter but I really find every time I go to Winnipeg I have a wonderful experience because there's artisan culture that trickles in across the whole city so it's not it's about artisan food and artisan bakeries and artisan restaurants and there's folk music and there's hip-hop music and there's music studios it's become a very arts hub of the prairies and I love 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 Winnipeg and I visited Calgary earlier this year and maybe it's not quite as artsy as Winnipeg but Dawn I was blown away by how friendly the people were but also how clean the city was holy smokes was Calgary a clean city so Dawn what's a recommendation that you have that maybe wasn't part of these uh, 10 cities or 10 destinations well, you know, I, 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 it, it, it's very typical uh, when it comes to recommendations. But when we did the Cabot Trail, it was the most ex- amazing experience I think I've ever had. And we did the very, very typical thing. We, we got a convertible. We oh. rented a, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We rented a car, uh, a convertible, and we took it up. The whole we did. We spent five probably six actually now that I think of it days doing the Cabot Trail and we stayed in bed and breakfasts and oh my god it was absolutely stunning I mean there's a reason why they use it for commercials for car commercials right yeah it's just stunning Hey, I like that. A couple recommendations here. We'll open up a new branch of Dave Brown Consulting it'll be the Dickinson Brown <laughs> Travel Agency Don <laughs> thank you for this you're great Okay, thank you, Dave. Bye-bye. That's Don Dickinson, content curator for McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio. You can find that show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, the TD Lab has introduced a free online plug-in for people with disabilities. Samantha Estuesta tells you all about the TD Accessibility Adapter. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There's a new accessibility tool for you to use, and it's completely free. TD Lab has designed a plugin for the public to enhance their online experience. This plugin can be used on any website. Samantha Estuesta is the product owner of the TD Accessibility Adapter Tool, and unsurprisingly, Samantha's got a bunch to say about it. Hey, good morning, Samantha. Good morning, Dave. So, Samantha, let's hop in the time machine and go back in time here. Why did the TD Lab venture into the idea of this accessibility plugin? 
So this was a colleague first initiative. Um, it's not apparent, but I have invisible disabilities. And so I'm often thinking about digital accessibility. And one of the things that we think about here is there's a lot of irritants that our colleagues have when they're trying to do um, work. And there's, you know, there's different competing items in the digital accessibility world to be able to be as productive as you can be. So we took uh, an approach to solve this colleague irritant. We worked with our digital accessibility teams, um, the an external organization called Disability In, and we started to say, okay, what are the sorts of things that we can do to enhance someone's browsing experience, not only if they have a disability, but they might just have, um, you know, digital browsing preferences. There's a lot of people who don't have disabilities who really appreciate dark mode, that sort of thing. Mm. And so we started to do this from the best way possible, understanding what tools would work with other assistive technologies and what's the sorts of features that would make the most difference for our colleagues' lives. So what was the development process and testing process like? How did that play out? So we started uh, first in our lab. Uh, so we're a part of uh, TD Bank as a whole. And we uh, started to create this as a CSS switcher. So we did all of the informal testing that we would do as a lab. We brought this to uh, a partner in our bank uh, called Odyssey. And so there was 6,000 colleagues that tried it out in March. And so we you know, started whiteboarding this in June of 2022. March 2023, we started to test it out with colleagues. We did an external pilot with Disability In at the time as well. And we started to get so many pieces of feedback. And, and at this point, we had already built this in conjunction with our digital accessibility team and our assistive technologies team. Um, and so then we opened it up to all of our 95,000 colleagues in June. The feedback was amazing as they continued to utilize this pilot internally. And we knew it wasn't something that we could just keep with our group. And so September 2023 rolls around and now it's public for everyone. I, I want to dive into the public side in just a moment because making it free to the public is certainly a really cool opportunity. But maybe let's do the sales pitch a little bit here and talk about what the public is going to get for free because there are 18 different accessibility features. We probably don't have time to go through all 18, but broadly speaking, how did you come up with those 18 before we talk about a few specifics? Absolutely. So we listened to people with disabilities and the types of irritants and barriers they had, and we built out a series of disability profiles. Um, we like to utilize disability language, so making sure that it's not something that's hidden within that space as well. Uh, and then we built out features that can be utilized across profiles. Um, each of the profiles that we have in here, be it ADHD or low vision, um, they're all features that are across the solution. So you might say, oh, I want to see what is in connection with my, you know, my episodic disability of epilepsy. Oh, there's other things that might also fit in here as well. And, and making sure that we had something that would be cross-utilized by the widest range of humans. Okay, so let's talk about a few of the specifics here, because again, 18, uh, we'd be here the rest of yes. the hour, which by the way, <laughs> not a terrible idea. Maybe, maybe down the road, do a little special, but for now, let's focus on these, on these three demonstrations that you want to show off. The first demo designed for people with ADHD. How does this one work? So, uh, so the tool itself is a CSS switcher. So the way that it works is that you go into the extensions bar, you'll see the TD shield and you can go to disability profile and we will have within disability profiles, a list of those profiles. We also have browsing experience, co uh, comprehension and perception. 
So under ADHD, we have stop animation. So you might um, find it very distracting to have videos that go through. Um, we also have a reading guide tool. So a reading guide tool grays out the majority of the screen except for a single transparent bar. And that allows you to focus on each individual line of text. Um, if, if you were thinking about this as a physical tool, you might've used a ruler, you might've used your finger, and this repre represents that sort of technology, but in a digital sense. Oh, I love that. Sort of avoiding that temptation to sort of scroll up and forth and back and down and zipping all around, sort of focusing the experience. I love that. It's really handy. And, you know, if you're someone who works in a bank, you see a lot of transaction data. Oh, my gosh. And that's something that really can help you, even if you don't have that disability. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That, that's not a disability for me. But even as someone who's legally blind, it can oftentimes get a lot of things blurry. It's nice to focus. Yes. Okay, what about for people with dyslexia? What features are on offer? Oh, I, I really like the features that we have for dyslexia. So again, you're going to utilize the tool in the same way. You can go through disability profile to, to get to that particular feature. Um, and you'll notice that uh, there's a really neat way that we think about um, the fonting here. So we use the open dyslexic font, which is a font that was actually created by people with, dys, uh, with dyslexia. And so they have changed the characters so they're separated out a little bit more. Uh, the character style goes from a very thin to thick versioning on each letter. And one of the very neat ways that I like to describe this is that in the numeral zero, there's a dot in the middle. And so if you're looking at capital O, you might have some confusion between that and the, and the numeric um, of zero. And so they've been able to make that differentiation. And I love that. I just love that. And there are some functions designed for people who are partially sighted. You had one in particular you wanted to demonstrate. How is this one going to be particularly useful? So I, I think we're going to loop in a few of the ones that we have in here. So under the perception tab, we really do have a series of, of you know, features that are available depending on your own unique needs. So um, we wanted to make sure that we were thinking about colorblindness for um, different ways that uh, natural versus artificial light could be affecting. So we have different contrasts where you could have a black highlight with white text or a light contrast, which is a light um, uh, highlight with black text. Uh, and then we also have different saturations. So you might be able to utilize a high saturation to be able to see the differentiations of the colors, um, or you might also want to use a low saturation and that still allows you to have a perception of the, the view of the image um, in a way that is more clear. So there's a variety of different opportunities to play around with what works for everyone. Um, I myself love the low saturation feature. And then if you go into uh, a browsing experience, you can find uh, a majority of people's favorites, which is dark mode. Wow, so a lot of customization here, which is yes. really, really fantastic. I think a lot of people uh, within the disability spectrum love themselves some customization. They love being able to rig up their tech the way that they like it. So here's what's really interesting to my mind, Samantha. This is an incredible initiative within the company. But you and your colleagues and the organization decided, no, 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 no. This isn't just for internal TD products. This isn't just for TD customers. This isn't just for TD employees. You've made this tool usable as a browser plugin and free. Why that priority? Why that external view? You know, it's it's just the right thing to do. Uh, we saw the impact that it had with colleagues. I know personally the impact that it's had to, to my browsing experience and my productivity. Um, and, and when you have something like that, that, you know, really has this this way of changing the way that people are able to either do work or even just enjoy digital media, 
um, you can't just keep that behind a paywall. And so that was part of our ethos. It's it's connected to our inclusive innovation frameworks, the way that we think about uh, the work that we do in uh, our innovation spaces. And so it was it was always um, it was always clear that it was just the right thing to do to release this um, at no cost to the public. Beyond the positive web browsing experience that may come from utilizing this product, what do you think the broader effect could be for people with disabilities? So um, I've been I've been hesitant before in my roles to disclose my own disabilities. Uh, I didn't disclose until I was actually at TD. So it's been about six years that I've been very open about it in my workplace. And you know the stigma is still very real. You know you're starting um, you're starting to have these these fears about opening up about certain needs that that you might have, or even if your needs change during the day. Um, and so there are all of these ways that we can think about addressing stigma by having tools like this. Um, you know, this is a day one accommodation that's available to our colleagues. On day one, you can have this. You don't actually have to go through an accommodations process. You can just auto add it to your machine, and there you can start from there. And this gives that space to say, you know, this is just something that we should have. We should have accessibility um, embedded in everything we should do. Uh, you know, accessibility is a standard already when it comes to digital properties. But let's go into that hyper-personalization. You, you mentioned it earlier. No one has the same experience. Someone who might have the same diagnoses as me does not have the same uh, experience that I have. And so being able to go beyond just uh, a standard and go into hyper-personalization where everyone can have the experience that meets their needs and doesn't um, interfere with other tools that also support their needs, that that leads to this idea of like, it's it's not it's not complex to be able to have an experience that works for you. You know, Samantha, I was just talking to um, some young leaders at a foundation, uh, excuse me, at a Fighting Blindness Canada summit over the weekend, and, and there was some talk about independence and accommodation and the exhaustion that can come with perpetually self-identifying and perpetually advocating for accommodation. No matter how welcoming the company might be, sometimes it's nice to have that independence to troubleshoot yourself. That might not be everybody, but I'm someone who does like to kick the tires a little bit before I'm going to go send out a bunch of emails. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's what we got as some of our feedback from our colleagues is that it allowed them to, you know, customize it to their own needs in a way that they could then have that conversation if they needed to have that conversation on their own times with the experiences that they wanted to talk about. Yeah. And so it, everyone is different. Some people like to go in day one with a with a list of all the things that they know they need. And some people like to see, um, you know, what they can tailor to their own experience first and then go from there. And so this is just one of those uh, available tools to our colleagues. And now the public, they can do the same. Samantha, what a great initiative by you and your colleagues. I'm going to share some of the uh, contact information and information for folks to access the tool in a second. But thank you so much for the time that you've taken today. And please keep up all the excellent work with you and your colleagues. Thank you so much, Dave. That's Samantha Estoesta, the creator behind the TD Accessibility Adapter. The adapter can be downloaded via the Chrome Web Store. So the TD Accessibility Adapter, it can be downloaded via the Chrome Web Store. And don't worry, more information will go up on our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. In 60 seconds, there's some precipitation heading towards British Columbia. John Lepke will have the latest in his weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Lori Paris with your Morning Business Minutes. 
Markets on both sides of the border reported steep losses, with Canada's main stock index recording a triple-digit plunge. The S&P TSX Composite Index plummeted 242 points to 19,450. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average sank 332 points to 33,665. The S&P 500 Index fell 58 points to 4,314, while the Nasdaq Composite dropped 219 points to 13,314. Shares tumbled in Asia following the retreat on Wall Street, and worries about the war in the Middle East are also dragging down markets. Japan's Nikkei plunged 611 points to close at 31,430. South Korea's Kospi dropped 46 points to 2,415. The Shanghai Composite Index dropped 53 points to 3,005. Markets also fell in India, Thailand, and Australia. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74.84 cents U.S., down from yesterday's close of 73.07 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Laurie Paris. Thank you very much, Laurie. From business to weather, here's John Lepke. John, umbrellas and raincoats out in British Columbia. Yes, absolutely. So for today's story, we're looking westward. Now, British Columbia is no stranger to rain, but this week has been especially wet for some areas of the province. As of Thursday afternoon's warning from Environment Canada, which spanned from Vancouver Island to as far inland as Whistler, 60 to 140 millimeters was expected between Wednesday and this morning, thanks to a weather system that has decided to make its home along the Pacific. According to experts, yesterday's rainfall is unlikely to be the end of it, with the Weather Network reporting that up to 300 millimeters could reach some areas of the province by the time the system decides to move on later this evening. This influx has led the government to issue high stream flow advisories for Vancouver Island, the Sunshine Coast, parts of the North Shore, the Howe Sound area, Squamish, and the Sea to Sky part of the South Coast. In addition, West Vancouver Island has also been issued a flood watch, which is different from a flood warning um, for updated information, as the situation develops, you can visit the Government of British Columbia's River Forest Center, River Forecast Center webpage. John, I love uh, that you gave this update and certainly where folks can find out more information, but I also really enjoy that you gave the system a personality when it decides to move on. When the weather is good and ready to move on, it will. I like that. That's, that's a personalization of the weather that I very much enjoy. Thank you very much, Dave. <laughs> That's John Lepke with your weather report coming up after the break. Oh, you know this. It can be hard to avoid online shopping. If you're going to do it, how can you get the most bang for your buck? Aaron Broverman has some tips on bargain hunting online and maybe just a reminder about self-discipline. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Confession time. Be honest. You shop online. It's okay. You are not alone. 82% of Canadians shop online. 2.14 billion people shop online around the world. If you're going to shop online, you might as well do it well. Promo codes, coupons, cashback, 
all that jazz that I don't quite understand and have no idea where to start. Maybe Aaron Broverman can help with that. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Good morning, Dave. I'm excited about this topic. It's a very uh, meaty one. I'm excited, too, because I have a habit of, uh, you know, punching the old credit card into a couple of websites here. The whole conversation stems from Amazon's sale last week that was suspiciously devoid of bargains. In your experience, how salesy are online sales? You can still get pretty good sales online you just have to remain disciplined uh retailers like amazon though do do some tricky things to make you think you're getting a deal one of the biggest things that they do is they raise the price on an item before a sale and then discount it heavily during a sale to make you think that you're getting it on sale, but it was actually more expensive than it normally is prior to the sale. So they're just basically getting the same amount of profit off of you but uh, at like a different ratio, essentially, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. uh, sometimes the best time to buy online is not during prime days or special sales, but just at random times or, or non-peak seasons in the case of clothing. So Aaron, uh, there's going to be some individual aspects that you and I will dive into here. But generally speaking, what advice would you have in terms of actually bargain hunting online? It's all about discipline. You have to basically in advance, especially if they're advertising the deals on TV or whatever in advance, make a list of the things that you want and do some research on places like eBay to look at the sold listings and see how much, not that the item is on sale for, but how much it's sold for mm. under regular conditions. And then compare that to what Amazon or some other website is offering it for and see if it's really on sale. If you have a budget, you also have to make sure that you stretch your dollar as far as it'll go and factor in those taxes and shipping. Uh, you can also browse with a VPN or incognito because sometimes different regions of the country are getting different deals. Something might be more on sale, so to speak, in Saskatchewan than it is in BC mm. or Ontario. So even though you still have to factor in shipping to where you are, maybe it's cheaper if you browse or, or change uh, your, your location, basically. But it's all about sticking to a list, uh, going in advance, doing research on the things you want, and not deviating. I mean, you can splurge, but there's, there's a special strategy mm. uh, for splurging if you're going to do that. Aaron, I like what you mentioned there about the incognito or the VPN. Not to get too conspiratorial here, but we know that our devices and phones are listening to us. And I have read that by the time you've checked a hotel room or airfare in the same city a couple of different times in a couple of days, the algorithm has figured that out and you're not likely to get yourself a bargain. Absolutely, but there's a way to track prices like if you if you use like a browser extension like honey or uh, there's an amazon specific one called camel 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 
you can use the price tracking feature by putting your list of items into the browser extension in advance and seeing when the price actually drops and when it raises. And if you're tracking specific items, you can jump on it when it's at the lowest that it's been uh, throughout the history. Ooh, Aaron, you said one of the magic words there, because I did want to pick your brain about browser extensions. Those were all the rage a couple of years ago. I remember uh, watching a lot of football games. The Rakuten commercials were all over the place, promising cashback and sales. Um, they offered a bunch of other perks as well. Go, go a bit deeper. How would you evaluate the browser extension landscape? You have to be very careful with browser extensions because ones like the great spend you know got new owners and turned out to be malware so you have to be careful that they're actually doing what they say they're doing even really popular ones like honey uh in people's experience if you read like reddit or something like that don't actually, you know, get you the coupon codes that they say they'll get you. You know, Honey is a is a browser extension that collates all the coupon codes that are active and gives you the best one at checkout, but it doesn't always work. So it's very, very touch and go. I would use browser extensions not for the deals or the discounts, but for that price tracking ability. Mm. Rakuten, on the other hand, is a website. Um, so it works uh, fine. I, I think I would use Rakuten for cashback or other affiliate links. Like if you listen to uh, a podcast and uh, the person gets a little kickback, if you shop through their website portal and you get some cashback, I would do that. But I just wouldn't install a, a browser extension on my computer unless I really, really knew uh, what it does and trusted it. Because at the end of the day, it could be just another way for you know companies to track your data mm. or maybe it's secretly malware. Aaron, you mentioned promo codes and coupons. There is an avalanche across uh, the web with coupon codes and promo codes, et cetera, et cetera. I bet you if I opened my Gmail right now and went to the promotions page, it would just be awash with coupon codes and promo codes. It's okay if the answer to this question is no, but is there an effective way to kind of round those up? I think the most effective way, other than the browser extensions that are a little suspicious, is to go to forums like Red Flag Deals, which is a Canadian uh, shopping forum, or go to you know Reddit threads where you can see all the bargain hunters you know discussing the latest and best discounts online in real time and see what's there. I mean, obviously you run the risk of as soon as a you know, promo code is made public, it could have already been used. But I find interacting with real people as the best way to get <laughs> promo codes. Because if you're just searching online at random, I mean, you have no idea when those promo codes were posted. They could have already been used, like I said. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a very uh, random kind of shot in the dark kind of thing. But when they work, it's great. I mean, I shop at Sideshow, which is like a figure distributor. And with everything that you order, they give you a QR code for 10% off. And some people in the figure community share those with others. 
But uh, other times, you know, if you order, you can just use it yourself on mm. your next purchase. Aaron, another sort of closed-end question here. Am I overcomplicating this? How much of the process of saving some money online has to do with just finding the right credit card with cashback or points? You can definitely save money with cashback and points. Actually, Amazon has its own rewards MasterCard in Canada, which basically saves you 2.5% or the what would normally be the foreign transaction fee. So if you're in Canada, but you're shopping at amazon.com, that might be useful to you. You also get 2.5%, but only if you're a Prime member. So you have to factor in the Prime membership right. cost. Over a hundred bucks uh, a year for that, yeah. Exactly. You get that two five an, an additional two point five percent for uh, cash back, basically with Whole Foods or Amazon. And then if you're not a Prime member, you only get one point five percent. So it doesn't go that far. But if you're such a frequent Amazon shopper that you you know that you have that Prime membership and you you find that you're spending a lot on Amazon, it might actually work for you. It just depends on your lifestyle and shopping habits. Of course, there's other cashback cards as well that might give you deeper discounts. I mean, uh, not to plug uh, my workplace, but I would go to Forbes Advisor and see what we've ranked as the best cashback at rewards cards in Canada. Heck yeah, go plug plug your work. Go visit Aaron's work at Forbes Advisor. Him and his colleagues are doing awesome stuff. We, we can plug that stuff, Aaron. Okay, there's a flip side here, though, because impulse buys and online shopping go hand in hand, at least in my experience. Uh, someone may have bought a guitar online uh, late Saturday, early Sunday morning. Uh, I broke one of my rules. Don't buy instruments online, but it showed up this week and it's beautiful. Uh, what kind of strategies do you put in place to maybe curb some of those bad online shopping habits? I have two strategies for this. One is clear your cookies and browsing history so that if you watch a YouTube video with an advertisement, the internet doesn't suddenly think you really, really want uh, you know that that new soap or or that or that new uh, manscaped product or whatever. So uh, because you might end up clicking on it if you see it enough. So make sure that uh, you use ad blockers. You use like you know you clear your cookies and browsing data so that they can't follow you around wherever you are online. And if you do end up splurging, that's okay. Just make a plan to pay it off in the next two to three months. Mm. Make sure that that's something that you can do and you have the money uh, scrolled away for that. That's, I think, the best strategy is to say, okay, uh, I have enough extra money this month that I'll be able to get this done uh, very quickly. Because as soon as you're still paying something off for like six months to a year, any discounts that you've earned, you've you've absolutely lost yeah. them on interest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thankfully the guitar is not, is not going to take six months to a payoff. Uh, it, it wasn't that expensive. It was only $240. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the, uh, the, 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 it was by no means a uh, Fender Stratocaster American classic. Uh, uh, Aaron, thank you for this. Always a blast to catch up. Thank you for going a little overtime with me today. Uh, thanks, Dave. This has been a great topic. That's Aaron Broverman, lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. You can follow Aaron on Twitter, a.k.a. X. A lot of letters there. Akex. <laughs> at Broverman. At Broverman. The Broverman. B-R-O-V-E-R-M-A-N. Broverman. In a minute, there's a new memoir that's uh, capturing the attention of book lovers. Laura Bain will feature it in her entertainment report. But first, investors are taking note of price cuts at Tesla. Mike Dubusky has the story in Tech Trends.
Tesla is facing more competition than ever. And Wedbush Securities analyst Dan Ives says in the absence of new product from the brand, price cuts were the next best move. They've paid off well, but price cuts are a double-edged sword, and that continues to be a worry on the street. Meanwhile, many traditional automakers are prepping to launch a slew of EVs in the next few years, but they've got problems too. Competition's coming, but when you look at the UAW strike in Detroit with GM and Ford, that's been a big issue there. Tesla owner Elon Musk says new products are coming. Big focus is Cybertruck production that should start in November, you know, and then ultimately going into next year, Model 2, a sub-30,000 hour vehicle. But Ive says... With Musk, you always take with a grain of salt or a pound of salt. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Laura Bain, in today's entertainment report, you've got your eye on memoirs, specifically tell-all memoirs. Yeah, that's right. And I guess even more specifically, the uh, memoir Worthy by Jada Pinkett Smith, which dropped on Tuesday. And uh, I checked that out as an audiobook. It's available on on Audible, narrated by the author. Oh, I love Um, that. Yeah, she does a beautiful job of it. But, um, you know, in it, she's very open. She talks about living with PTSD. She talks about her childhood on the on the gritty streets of Baltimore. That was probably my, my favorite part. And uh, she, of course, talks about her 30-year marriage to Will Smith. Um, she also talks a lot about her friendship with Tupac. I was surprised how much of the book that took up um which was interesting it was cool it was sort of like you know he's not there to share his story she's sharing a lot of his Mm. sort of childhood and intimate details so i found that part interesting but i you know i guess the other thing i found interesting about this book is um like she she she's telling the story she's telling you about what happened and then at the end of every chapter a chime sounds which i think it's really enhanced by that audiobook experience and then she goes into kind of a bit of a a self-help uh advice or exercise oh interesting yeah you know that wouldn't be for everybody but i'm kind of here for it because uh, i like the self-help stuff um now, if you've been, you know, watching any kind of entertainment news, you'll know this: the couple Will and Jada have been all over headlines mm-hmm. lately um, <laughs> about their separation, which is revealed in the book. But um, he's made really supportive comments about uh, the memoir, and she was really kind to him in the memoir as well. So I, th- I thought that was cool, but. Um, I'm just thinking about that contrast, you know, someone being so private, keeping like a seven-year separation to themselves uh, and from the media, and then releasing sort of a tell-all memoir where they go very much into their kind of intimate lives. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, it's it's a little weird though, right? Because maybe they were private about the detail of the separation, but it did not stop her from revealing about some of the uh, polyamory that was going on on her podcast. So it's like, it's a little bit, strange to my mind that that contrast seems so apparent but you're right the withholding of bits of information to put out into the memoir but in the way you describe it Laura what I think is really interesting and what makes a great memoir is there's actual reflection it's not just simply a history book or a list of events it's what something actually meant to you or changed the way that you grew and finding those hinge points or sliding moments in someone's life. I think that when there can be that kind of introspection or self-reflection in a memoir, that's what separates a memoir from sort of a biography. 
Yeah, for sure. And something she said about this is that she she's released this memoir because of how important she believes it is to share your own journey of self self-worth, especially for women. I mean, I, I get that contrast you're talking about, but I also feel like it's a way of controlling the narrative. Like a memoir is kind of a little bit of a mic drop moment. It's yes. like, yeah, this is what I have to say. And now I can choose to engage or not. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, I think if they had shared more publicly with a lot of outlets, it would have been a back and forth. And I've seen a lot of really kind of what I would call disgusting headlines over the last few days, but this was just sort of a way to 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 tell her side and then just just leave it there on the table yeah the flip side of that is something that you and i may get into tomorrow or next week and that's what's going around britney spears's memoir but no time for that today let's leave that yeah. as a nice little nugget for people to chew on for 24 hours or so laura have a great day thank you for this Thanks, Dave. That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report coming up after the break. Residents of Lytton, British Columbia are expressing concern about how long it's taking to rebuild their town. That'll be part of the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, October the 19th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, a new map is making daily commutes more accessible. Marco Flalo gives you the lowdown on the pedesting app. Not quite sure about the uh, branding on that. <laughs> and the Forest of Reading has announced their nominees for 2024. Wow, looking ahead of the game, Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access tells you all about it. But the hour begins with the regional news updates. Beginning in British Columbia, residents of Lytton, B.C. are expressing frustration at how long it's taking to rebuild their community. The town was almost completely destroyed by wildfires in 2021. Mayor Denise O'Connor says people are feeling abandoned. People that are still living out in, you know, in rentals around that, that want to come home. And it's that people side of it that we feel, I feel, I think most residents feel, has been totally, um, totally neglected um, over the last two and a half years. Provincial Emergency Management Minister Bowen Ma says there are a lot of factors leading to a slow rebuild including municipal governments, infrastructure like buildings, bylaws, records, which greatly challenged the municipal government's ability to govern uh, following the crisis. There were severe environmental contamination as a result of the fire. And uh, of course, the fact that the village was built on top of an ancient indigenous village and, and burial ground. Over to the prairies, there's a lot of back and forth thing about Alberta's intention to leave the Canada Pension Plan and create their own. The Alberta government says they are owed 53% of the plan's assets. The Canada Pension Plan Investment Board estimates Alberta is owed about 16%. Premier Danielle Smith stands by her numbers. So we've over-contributed. Those contributions have compounded over time, and based on their calculation, they believe that that over-contribution and compounding comes to 53% of the assets. Alberta would be the first province to leave the CPP. Quebec never joined. 
Over to Ontario. Ontario's public elementary school teachers have voted 95% in favour of a strike. The union says there's no immediate intention to strike as negotiations with the province continue. Education Minister Stephen Lecce thinks they should agree to binding arbitration like their high school counterparts. You know, it begs the question fundamentally, if we can get an agreement with one of the largest unions for English public high school teachers, then why can't we get that agreement with English public elementary school teachers? The Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association is also holding strike votes. That's your look at the regional news. Here comes Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Starting in the world of hockey, the Ottawa Senators impeached the Washington Capitals 6-1 last night. Senators forward Josh Norris scored two goals in his first game back from injury. He has not played since January. Norris said it felt good to be back. A little bit, yeah, especially at the start, but, um, you know, felt I settled it right in um, after a few shifts and um, just tried to make it like I was playing another hockey game, so uh, it was fun. Oh, I love the way hockey players talk. The Sens are on a three-game winning streak. The other big note from last night, Capitals forward Alex Ovechkin was held shotless. Shotless, not shirtless, shotless for the second straight game. That's the first time it's happened in his career. Ovi is goalless to start the season. Brock Richardson, I know it feels like an early season overreaction, but if you had asked me eight days ago, Dave... Is Alex Ovechkin going to break Wayne Gretzky's goal-scoring record in the next two seasons? I would have said yes, absolutely. But here we are a week into the season. Ovi has not scored a goal. Brock, I'm starting to wonder if this might be more of a slog than a stride for the great eight. Yeah, I have been one that has wondered if it's if it's going to be broken. I, I mean, it, it looks like it, and as you pointed out off the air with me, it probably going to take longer now than it would have or should have but I, I think that you know uh, scoring 40 goals in a season is harder than some make it seem and that's kind of the pace that uh, Alexander Ovechkin needs to be at and we're just not seeing it and three four games of not scoring at his you know caliber of trying to hit it it's kind of a it's kind of a slump when you think about it so yeah I, I don't think it's going to get done in two years either but I I do question whether it's going to get done at all but if anyone can do it it's Alex Ovechkin well I'm just oh, of course a pop-up pops up on my screen as I'm trying to read the stat to you so he's about 80 back right now and yes father time is undefeated but Alexander Ovechkin is pretty much a mutant I I think the body's mm. going to hold up but I was hoping this was going to be kind of like a glorious lovely goal-breaking record like he was going to be at the prime of his game ripping these one-timers on the power play and now I worry that he's going to be 41-42 just playing on the power play unit as a fourth liner not really like taking a lot of regular shifts not getting up and down the ice I, I worry there might be some padding here but Brock I I'm still on the camp unless he develops some kind of serious injury Ovechkin's breaking this record just to break Canadian hockey fans hearts and take it from the Gretzky taking it from the great one here's a question do you think the great one being Wayne Gretzky wants this record to be broken or is he 
secretly hoping it doesn't. What's he's, your vibe? He's, he's, is- he's got enough records. He's got enough records. He doesn't need. He doesn't need all the records. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure he wants to keep it. It's nice to be number one across the board, but he can stay number one in points and assists. Let's give somebody else the uh, the goals record here. Okay, Brock, from hockey over to the world of football, and no, not a Thursday night football preview. It's going to be a slog tonight with the Saints and the Jaguars. You want to talk about the executive side of the National Football League? NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell got himself a nice lucrative contract extension yes we will have to deal with roger goodell until at least march of 2027 as he gets an extension i don't there's i struggle with roger goodell okay i there you cannot deny the the lucrative world that is the nfl it is a beast it is the number one you know, watch sport. It is the number one uh, profitable sport. It's all that. And in North America. Give, in North America. In North America. Yes. Sorry. Uh, in North America. And you got to give that credit where credit is due. Sure. I have struggled with Roger Goodell since some of the domestic violence things have happened over the years with different players. There's been a handful of players over the years that have gotten themselves in trouble. And I just feel like at times he's sort of turned his head from these things he's turned turned his head from from this kind of thing and I, and because of that i don't love roger goodell i don't hate him as much as i would dislike gary batman but I, you know I, I don't know i don't know if he's done enough to warrant this extension now is enough to be the number one profitable sport in north america sure and that's obviously part of it but i'm not a big fan of roger goodell so you think his morality and ethics aren't up to snuff but his profitability is yeah basically uh i think the super white 32 owners of nfl teams don't give a crap about uh, morality and ethics they just care about the (laughs) hordes of money they're making you know what his estimated salary is brock what is that 60 million dollars a year He's making almost like a, a third of what an entire NFL pay, team's payroll makes per yeah, season. That's that, that's a lot of money. That's no that, like that's, like these thirty-two old men do not care about morals and ethics. They might tell you that uh, we're doing our little rainbow hats and football's uh, doing breast cancer research month or military appreciation month. They don't give a darn about ethics and morality. The only color they care about is green. And Roger Goodell has helped them make a whole lot of it through some pretty muddy waters. You mentioned the domestic abuse side. There's obviously the social movement that really flared up around 2016 with Kaepernick that flared up again in 2020 around Black Lives Matter. He's been able to pretty nimbly walk through that and keep the sport in its dominant position when a lot of people thought, oof, it's going to go away. I also don't care for Roger Goodell's morals or ethics, but I'm also not so naive as to think that this is about anything other than money, money, money. Brock, thank and, you. And neither am I, let's be fair. I understand this point that the money is what it is, but the, I, I like to live around a little bit of ethics and morals as well, but apparently the owners don't care. Yeah. Have a good day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I, I like that. There you go. The dismount from Brock Richardson. That's Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk coming up after the break. There's a new app that's tried to make navigation more accessible. Marco Flalo gives you the lowdown on the Pedesting app. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hello and welcome back to the Parasport Update. I'm Greg Westlake. In Europe, Canada hit the ice for the 2023 International Para Hockey Cup. 
The four-team tournament featured a select group of players on the international para hockey team, the U.S., and host Czechia. Canada opened the cup with a 2-1 win over the Czechs before losing their next two games. In the semifinals, Canada cruised to a 4-1 win over the international para hockey team, setting the scene for a championship clash against the United States. An early lead by the U.S. proved to be enough as Canada fell 4-1, concluding the International Para Hockey Cup. Crossing the Alps, the wheelchair fencing world championships took place in central Italy. Five Canadians took to the stage. In the Epe and Foil, Canada's top performance was in the women's individual B with Trinity Lothian coming 15th in the Epe and 27th in the Foil. In the Sabre on the men's side, Ryan Roussel placed 20th in the Sabre A. Taking to the courts, the Women's U25 Wheelchair Basketball Championships landed in Bangkok, Thailand. Placed in Group B, Canada doubled up South Africa in their first match, winning 50-24 before finishing with a 2-2 record in the round-robin play. In the quarterfinals, Canada fell to China 38-26. Following the loss, Canada defeated Thailand and then was bested by Germany, finishing 6 in the Constellation round. And that's our time for this edition of the Parasport Update, presented by AMI-audio. Check back next week for more news from the world of adaptive sports. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. A new app is making daily commutes and navigation more accessible. Pedesting helps users plan routes and identify possible accessibility barriers along the way. Pedesting was developed in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and Mark Aflalo has the lowdown from Montreal. Mark is the co-host of Access Tech Live, which hits the airwaves of AMI-tv in about uh, one hour and 48 minutes. So uh, I better, uh, 38 minutes. So I better get to Mark real quick here. Hey, good morning, Mark. Morning, Dave. But who's counting, right? Who uh, care, you know? Who? An hour and 38 minutes. <laughs> 48, 38. <laughs> but I mean, if I take too much of your time, you won't have time for your makeup routine before the show. I did the makeup before this show, so don't oh, worry about it. <laughs> Ahead of the game. Uh, Mark, why did pedesting grab your attention as an app? Well, I mean, with Access Tech Live, we're constantly looking for different stories of interest, especially uh, homegrown stuff here in Canada. And I fell upon this uh, lovely group of people in Calgary who created this app, as you called uh, pedesting, um, who wanted to basically give people an alternative means of navigation when they have things to consider, like wheelchair accessibility, low vision, uh, mobility issues, et cetera, et cetera. So when I was doing some research, I saw some really cool stories about this this uh, uh, two gentlemen, uh, one who has CP and has been battling, you know, this challenge his entire life. And another one who has a great marketing degree and an architect by by trade. Oh, wow. And they got together and became really good friends and came up with this app, Pedesting, in Calgary. And it's currently uh, budding and it's growing. And they hope to bring it, obviously, outside of Calgary into other places soon as well. So how is it utilizing crowdsourced info along with building blueprints? So one of the challenges they found, uh, because I had a chance to speak with them yesterday, was that 5G and cellular networks and stuff like that were only so good when it came to indoor directions. That's something that we're always challenged oh, with, yeah. quite honestly. Um, uh, you know this all the time. When you're using any app, yes, they're trying to map shopping malls and stuff like that. But unless they put little beacons or actual transmitters inside those places, it's hard to actually get 
turn-by-turn directions. So what they did is they reached out to a lot of the uh, manufacturers and the owners of these buildings, and they actually got the actual CAD drawing blueprints that give you not only the exact dimensions and measurements, but locations of everything from doorway widths um, to hallway heights to stair locations, et cetera, et cetera. And they converted that into 2D maps. And what they do is when you enter a building, for example, you choose your starting point. And instead of relying on GPS or any kind of you know positioning technology, they give you actual directions. For example, in 20 feet, you're going to see a doorway on your left, turn left. Very much like a Mission Impossible movie when they're barking something to Tom Cruise's ear saying, there's going to be a doorway on your left, jump up. And then you find out he's on the wrong floor. But yeah, very, very much like that. So the crowdsourcing element is because they're allowing people to choose their starting point and their endpoint. And that information is stored so that future people going down the same routes will be able to use any corrections or any things that are along the way. So that's pedesting. I'm going to spell that out in folks in case folks want to punch that in and, uh, and download it and look for themselves. Pedesting is P-E-D-E-S-T-I-N-G. Pedesting. So that's a very specialized app in regards to navigation. Yes. But Google is also further dipping their toe in the navigation waters. They've announced a couple new features to their lineup of products. So how has Google improved its Maps routes to be more accessible? And by the way, as you know, I've got a love-hate relationship with Google Maps. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't we all, when you end up in a river instead of a, in a beautiful shopping mall or a coffee shop? Um, they've, they've added some pretty cool information to the maps themselves. Some is optional, some is on by default. So uh, there's key information such as, is a location we wheelchair accessible. So there's a new little wheelchair icon that will appear on destinations and show you if that location is wheelchair accessible. Um, they also have added wheelchair accessible walking routes. That's something you're going to have to turn on by hitting the three dots on the top right-hand corner of the app, and you can actually check off wheelchair accessible routes. And when you type in a route from you know point A to point B, it's going to make sure you're going to places that have ramps, going to places that avoid stairs, et cetera, et cetera. And they've also updated live view for people with low vision. Um, finally, they've also added a new identification for dis disabled owned businesses. So these are businesses oh, owned like by that. disabled people, which is pretty cool because as you know, especially when it comes to community, we love to support our own. Yeah, definitely supporting supporting folks. Mark, you mentioned it a little bit there in regards to turning these features on, because in a lot of cases it's not default. How, how much time am I going to be spending in my settings to punch in some of this stuff? Uh, not, not a lot at all. So when you're in the actual map screen of Google Maps in the top right-hand corner, when, no matter what platform you're on, there's going to be three dots. Those three dots open their menu system, et cetera, et cetera. But there's going to be an option right there to check off things like wheelchair accessible. You could even choose an option uh, that has no stairs as well. And plus, they're going to be adding features down the road to help people of uh, all types of disabilities as well. Yeah, like I said, Mark, a bit of a love-hate relationship. I find they've uh, changed their navigation, like their their active uh, navigation a little bit here in the last couple of months, and then it backslid, and then yeah. it changed again. I, I'm, I'm just a little frustrated. I, I understand that progress is progress, and sometimes you have to, like, go with the wagon or else you're going to be left behind. But there have just been a couple of moments where I'm like, what happened to the nice big green screen with super clear directions rather yeah. than, like, me really trying truly depending on Penelope to get in my ear. 
Yeah, you know what? We're going to be doing a conversation with Google on accessibility, and those are one of the things, that is one of the things that I'm going to bring up with them in terms of the rapid changes to a lot of these apps don't always suit everybody who's using them. And there's a comfort zone that you get into, and then suddenly something changes that's pretty dramatic. Well, they think it's a it's a great improvement, and we're going, okay, but wait a second. I don't even know how to get around anymore. Yeah. So it's <laughs> always a challenge. Yeah, yeah it, for, a, for a person with sight, it's much sleeker for for me, it's like, I'm just confused. Where am I? That's it. I'm calling an Uber. You'd be surprised, Dave, if your personal was sighted. It's not necessarily <laughs> that obvious as well. <laughs> hey, Mark, speaking of Access Tech Live, what's coming up on today's edition? Uh, we're not talking about anything today. No. We, uh, we are diving into a little bit of the world of gaming. Uh, Tara Volker is joining us. She's a senior lead of accessibility on the Xbox Game Studio side to talk about uh, basically everything gaming and accessibility. It's just, it's gaining steam. So we're going to have that conversation. Oh, you know, that ex that explains a post on your social media the other day about what's your favorite video game of all time. Yeah, yeah, you think you think you know, you think you have the right questions from week to week that'll uh, light a little fire under people's butts, but this one has gone a little bit crazier than I expected. Yeah, I engaged in that one. Jenny Bovard, the host of a yeah. Low Vision Moments podcast, got involved. Uh, we'll be talking about it today. Yeah, Karen McGee, regional content specialist uh, for AMI, also got involved. Karen McGee, like, hardcore video gamer. She doesn't talk about it a lot, so I just blew up her spot on the air, but that's going to be fantastic. Mark, <laughs> thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. That is Mark Aflalo, the host of Access Tech Live. He's in Montreal. Access Tech Live is at noon today on AMI-TV. The Pulse is going to be on AMI-audio this weekend. Joita Gupta will speak with model and entrepreneur Angela Harris. Together they discuss her upcoming fashion show for models who are blind. It's funny, I didn't uh, get an invite to that one. That's the Pulse weekdays, weekends, weekends, weekends. That's the Pulse weekends <laughs> at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can also find that on demand on a major podcasting platforms, including YouTube. Coming up next, Forest of Reading has announced their nominees for 2024. Looking ahead of the game. Karen, McGa Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access tells you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Forest of Reading has announced their nominees for 2024. The list contains books aimed towards the kiddos, the children's. Karen McKay is the communications manager for the Center for Equitable Library Access. Karen has some more details for you. Hey, Karen, how are you? Great, thanks. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Nice to chat with you on a different day here. Karen, you've talked about the Forest of Reading before, Canada's largest recreational reading program, but what are they putting on offer to young readers across the country? So I really love this program. It's a reader's choice program, so kids get to read a selection of books that the Forest of Reading puts out. They have to read at least half of them, and then they get to vote on their favorite. And then um, there's this sort of really great energy around the whole program. How can the kiddos participate actively? Obviously, it's easy to sort of passively say, here's the list, you're going to read them. But how can they actively get involved? 
So some schools, many schools across the country offer the program. A lot of libraries across the country offer the program. But if you're not in a place where there either of those are options, you can also just um, participate individually. So you can sign in through their website and, and participate that way. So lots of options for people. Karen, I'm going to have to start practicing saying the words 2024, even this time around. It kind of stunned me. The 2024 nominees, I'm still working on 2023 over here. But when are the winners going to be announced? So the way the program works is that kids can start reading the books now. We've got um, some of them already in our collection. And then they start voting in April when voting opens. And then the uh, winners are announced at a big festival in May. It's kind of like a, a rock concert for uh, kids and, and authors and illustrators. It's got this really great energy about it. And then it's streamed live. So even if you can't come to the festival in person, you can participate digitally. So that takes place in the middle of May usually. Karen, I really appreciate you're so far ahead of the game on this one uh, because I'm a procrastinator by nature. But if you start telling me things this early, I can get ahead of the game. Maybe, potentially, possibly. Forestofreading.com, forestofreading.com to learn more about the program. And maybe, hey, you want your kid's school to get involved. They're not already involved. Forestofreading.com is the place to go for that one. Karen, from children's books to... Uh, Halloween and some spooky themes only 12 days away from the uh, trick-or-treating experience and you want to highlight a few books to get people in the mood so one of the first ones you've got here and I'm going to get a little closer to my screen because uh, this just looks like a collection of letters Venko by Sherry Dimaline. Yes. Yeah, so if you rearrange those letters, it spells out Coven. And that's sort of the whole theme of the book. So Sherry Dimaline, folks probably know her from her uh, Marrow Thieves series, which was highly acclaimed and award-winning. She's a Métis writer from the Georgian Bay Métis Nation. And this book's a little bit different. It's a bit of a departure for her. So in this book, our main character is Lucky St. James, who's a Métis millennial. And she's living with her sort of cantankerous, but really quite lovely grandmother, Stella. Lucky's barely hanging on. She's got all the sort of the millennial real, real world problems. And then she discovers they're about to be evicted from their tiny Toronto apartment. So one night she's sort of ruminating and she sees sort of this strange um, vision and she it calls out to Lucky. And so she starts digging through her wall and she finds a silver spoon that's etched with a crooked nosed witch and the word Salem on it. And it's sort of humming with this otherworldly energy. Miles and miles away is Myrna Good. She's in Salem, and she's looking for Lucky. And Myrna works for Venco, which is a front company fueled by these dark money resources. Yeah. Lucky's familiar with the magic of her ancestors, but she's no idea that the spoon links her to Venco's network. So she and her uh, grandmother end up going on this road trip. There's generations of witches that have been waiting for centuries for these seven spoons to come together and to restore the power um, that belongs rightfully to women. So the, the main character, Lucky, and her grandmother go on this road trip but there's a always there's a villain his name is jay christos and he's a witch hunter and he is trying to track down these seven witches uh it's as i said it's a bit of a departure it's a bit of a lighter read it's got some kind of quirky characters the the villain's kind of over the top uh one reviewer that i read said it's a, like a bit of a witchy remake of the golden girls but there's some really strong themes here about women's relationships about how women obtain and lose and return to power and how our ancestors uh draw us into that power so the whole premise is based on the belief that these seven witches will get together and women will become more powerful it's a it's a, a more common sort of theme that we've been seeing lately about women and their power 
it's really beautifully written. It's quite funny. Uh, and there's this lovely relationship between Lucky and her grandmother. So it's it's a great book to pick up. Oh, Quick read. Sounds great. Sounds fantastic. You've got another one here. It's Mother Thing by Ainsley Hogarth. So Ainsley Hogarth is another Canadian author. This book is a very darkly funny uh, domestic horror book. It's about a, a woman who must take drastic measures to save her, herself and her husband from the vengeful ghost of her mother-in-law. So the story starts with Ralph and Abby. They move into Ralph's mother's um, home to take care of her. She's an elderly woman. And Abby hopes that it'll be just what she and her mother-in-law need to finally connect. She's Abby's had a really traumatic childhood and she's desperate for a mother figure, but Laura's not interested at all. And then in the first chapter, Laura commits suicide. I'm not giving anything away here. That's the whole premise of the book. Ralph is plunged into a depression and Abby is terrorized by this otherworldly force that's trying to pull apart everything that she loves. She works as a at a senior's home and she's got a favorite residence there and and uh, mrs bondy plays a big part in this in this book and then abby's sort of um, understanding what's going on around her so abby has to come up with this sort of chilling plan that allows her to keep mrs bondy in the home where she needs to be and to rescue ralph from his tortured mind and that breaks the hold of this curse on the family it is darkly funny but it deals with some really deep topics about mental health grief parental abuse and addiction and the author really uses a lot of humor to sort of diffuse some of the tension between the characters and at key plot points. It's laugh out loud funny. Uh, there's some some sharp language in it, if that's something that folks want to be aware of. Uh, but it's a it's definitely a thriller. Really good book if you want to be scared. That is an art form to delicately walk that line of mature, important themes, but still make somebody laugh out loud funny. Karen, you just sold me on that one right there. That's my kind of book. Awesome. Awesome. Karen, let's shift over to When Things Get Dark by Shirley Jackson. So this is actually a collection of books that honor Shirley Jackson. Her, um, she has a short story called When Things Get Dark. And um, there's a Stoker Award-winning uh, chilling anthology. There's 18 short stories that pay tribute to Shirley Jackson, collecting some of today's best horror writers. So it features Carol uh, Joyce Carol Oates, which folks may know, Josh Mailerman, Paul Tremblay, Richard Condry, uh, Stephen, or Stephen Graham Jones. There's a there's a long list of them. Uh, the the book is really um, a tribute to Shirley Jackson. So she, as you probably know, is a seminal writer of horror and mystery fiction, and some of her stories still. Uh, resonate with me. I remember reading The Lottery in grade school, and I still remember that story, and it just it horrifies me even to this day. So uh, folks will find lots to be scared about. They'll find lots of interesting threads about um, some of Shirley Jackson's themes, some of her, there's sort of throwbacks to some of her characters, some of her titles in the work, but it's fresh and it's new. It's just been released in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it's a great one if you want to be scared by short stories so you can oh. put them away in the freezer like Joey <laughs> did on Friends when you're too scared. <laughs> Ah, uh, Karen, what about Midnight Storm, Moonless Sky? So this is written by a Blackfoot storyteller, Alexander Soup, and uh, all of the, the stories are by him. This is not a, a conglomeration of different authors. So he plunges us into this really um, imaginative world of short stories. There's... Uh, 
topics that you would expect from Indigenous short storyteller. There's hauntings on the Highway of Tears. There's fear, fearful gatherings of ghosts. There's lots about racism. Uh, and he kind of does this really, um, again, balancing act between the social anxieties of Indigenous life and these spellbinding flights of speculative fiction. So he's done a really great job with this. There's some uh, real life grounding in it, though, a combination of legends, there's dark fantasy, but also you get to see some of the horrifying elements of, of just being Indigenous in this world and, and what that means. Um, he's a, a newer writer on the, the scene. He started writing um, in prison, actually, when he was um, doing some time for a, a crime. And then he, uh, when he was um, released, he started taking writing um, classes and, and creative writing classes and was really encouraged by his teachers to, to continue. So this is, I think, is probably an up-and-coming writer that we will be seeing more of down the, down the road. Uh, excellent set of stories, really well-reviewed. Karen, I don't know if this next author is someone who's up-and-coming. They've probably already arrived, but... Jordan Peele used to be one of the best comedians in the world and has really, in the last six, seven years, become a fixture in the modern horror movie scene. But now he's dipping his toe into the literature world without their scream screaming. Yeah, so as you alluded to, he's the visionary writer and director of movies like Get Out and Nope, and he curates this really groundbreaking anthology of all new Black horror stories, exploring not only the terrors of supernatural, but again, some of the realities of justice that sort of haunt uh, modern world today. It's a wonderful mix of horror, science fiction, folklore, social commentary from the Black perspective, and it grapples with, again, really deep themes, not only just horror, but death and grief, racism, technology, even spirituality. I'll just highlight a couple of the stories that are in this one. So one of the stories begins with a cop uh, seeing huge blinking eyes where the headlights of a car should be that he had just pulled over. There's two freedom riders that take a bus ride that leaves them stranded on a lonely road in Alabama where there's several unsettling somethings that are awaiting for them. And there's a young girl that dives into the depths of the earth in search of the demon that's killed her parents. These are just a few of them. The anthology is um, beautifully connected. There's an all-star roster of, of authors. Um, Aaron E. Adams, folks might be familiar with. Violet Allen. Um, let's see who else is on this list. Rebecca Roanos. Uh, Nicole D. Scornier's. There's a really an interesting collection of authors for this one. And I think that it's... Um, uh, the, one of the reviews said that it's a masterclass in horror and it's like his spine chilling films. It's a story's prey on everything we think of, we know about the world mm. and redefine what it means to be afraid. I'm kind of afraid to read this book. Modern. <laughs> like that, that's the one thing about Jordan Peele. Like not all the films have been as good as Get Out, but it's modern. The guy's got a real aesthetic that he's going for and he's really figuring it out. Karen, thank you for this. <laughs> have a great day. Oh, sorry. Did I, I, I cut you off there? I'm sorry. I was just going to say that I agree with you, that I think he's a real force for, for Black voices in, in cultural and society. Yeah, big time. Karen, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. That's Karen McKay. You can find Karen as the communications manager at the Center for Equitable Library Access. And all of those books that you just heard featured in the CELA featured selections are available on CELA's website, celalibrary.ca, celalibrary.ca, C-E-L-A library.ca. Coming up after the break, 
Let's say I guaranteed your safety. What, what exotic animal would you care for? John Lepke poses that question in the roundtable chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Now with Dave Brown nearing its end. But if you love live programming, there's lots coming your way. The rest of the day on AMI-tv, Access Tech Live at noon Eastern time with Mark Aflalo and Stephen Scott. And then 2 p.m. Eastern time, Ramya Amuthan and Kelly McDonald tackle the airwaves for another edition of Kelly and Ramya. And Ramya is here right now to give you a preview of what's coming up. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. Yes, we have lots going on on Kelly and Ramya today, uh, including a conversation about friendship. So every other week, Fern Lullum has been joining us to give us um, conversation, even tips and suggestions around mental health and emotional health. So today we're kind of going external. You, usually we've been uh, discovering and talking about more internal things and talking about the people around us, a.k.a. our friends. And also we have our um, talk with Michael Fair. He's been promising a slate of audio entertainment in the spook realm, so lots mm. of haunted stuff and podcasts and audio dramas that he's going to give us starting today. Uh, leading up to Halloween. And then we also have our conversation with Christine Malik. We call it Curious Minds. And we've been exploring ChatGPT, partnering up with Be My Eyes, a.k.a. Be My AI. A lot of us in the Blind Low Vision community have been having fun and very uh, extraordinary experiences with this. So she's going to tell us more. Ramya, I'm going to say goodbye to you right now because you're on the phone, but also your dog seems to want your attention, which is going to relate a little bit to uh, John Lepke's topic. So I'm just going to wish you a nice day right now. Uh, enjoy the episode of Kelly and Ramya and uh, go take care of your adorable dog who's probably annoying the <laughs> heck out of you right now. All right. I will, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> That's Ramya and within the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, which hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV and AMI-audio. Let's switch over to John Lepke for the roundtable conversation. Just because we said goodbye to Ramya, it's no problem because Nazreen Abdel-Majid back from her honeymoon to complete the roundtable. And John, you want to talk about some wildlife and insects and bees. I do, and, and, and not the movie either. <laughs> so a new invention called the Protective Bee has been developed by a company on Ontario in collaboration with a researcher from the University of Guelph. It's won an international award as the product aims to protect the couriers of the flower world from disease by changing the entrance to their hives. We've seen a lot of headlines about bee populations in the last couple of years, and a lot of people are looking to engage in beekeeping or other small-scale agricultural practices like homesteading with chickens and the like. <laughs> this got me curious about my local bylaws, where I rediscovered that not only has Saskatoon banned chickens and ducks within the municipal borders, but also kangaroos and walruses. <laughs> so, yeah, odd. I feel like it's one of those lists where it just keeps getting added onto, and if you don't put it on the list, someone will do it. So, 
Nazreen, pointing to you, first off, what do you think of bees? And would you ever want to try beekeeping? I'm going to let Dave answer that for me because he knows my answer to the that. An the answer is a hard no. The Abdelmajid <laughs> family has been in an active no. uh, fight with the bees and wasps on their property for some time now. We are ah. terrified, and I'm so sorry to say this, but yeah, we have those bags that trap the bees and wasps, so <laughs> I'm, I am I can't tell you how awkward this is uh, for this topic <laughs> to admit this on air, but yeah, we, we are one of those people that get so annoyed, and um, I, I can never, I, can, I get so scared of insects. I get so scared of bees, especially, so uh, hard no. Uh, John, I, I've got to confess, I am no fan of the bee. I'm not an enemy of the bee. I'm not a bee enemy. I'm just a normal guy who likes to think he has a non-aggression pact with the bees, <laughs> much like my neighborhood squirrels. I'm trying to develop a non-aggression pact with them. So I don't think I would give beekeeping a try, but John, I applaud people's efforts when they are thinking about urban beekeeping. I know that's becoming a big thing in Montreal. They're using uh, rooftops of skyscrapers to create gardens mm -hmm. and beekeeping environments, which is super cool. Uh, one of my bartenders in Montreal was telling me all about how that's his day job. I was like, that is an interesting day job. Uh, so I'm not going to give beekeeping a try. I'm going to leave it to the experts. What about you? How would you feel about some beekeeping in Saskatoon? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm. I'm. I'm uh, it's maybe one of the only topics where I'm a not in my backyard kind of person in a very specific way. I, I appreciate bees. I certainly appreciate honey. After the show, I'll probably have some honey on my toast. But um, I'm not going to uh, to figure out what adaptive beekeeping looks like, admittedly. <laughs> Okay, so none of us are going to be beekeepers, and that's okay because we love nature as it stands. Nazreen, I've asked you the iteration of this question or like something of the iteration of this question before where I said, I am guaranteeing your safety. What mm -hmm. dangerous animal would you cuddle? Let's take this to the next level. I've told you that you've been properly licensed, the bylaws are okay, and your safety is somewhat assured. I'm gonna say somewhat assured. What kind of exotic animal would you like to be a caretaker of? I've thought about this for so long, and I love this question because I follow people on Instagram. Um, I wanna, I would love, love to have a tiger or a lion. Oh, big cat. Yeah, big cat, big cat. You know, the fluffy ones, the, the love them, love them. They're so beautiful. And I follow people on Instagram, like the lion whisperer who takes care of them. You know, like he has, uh, I don't know if he works or he has them as pets, but they're beautiful and they look so loving. And if you train them well, I'm sure they are. Uh, but that's that's a dream of mine. It's it's my dad's dream as well. He loves them too. It's something that is something it, like it. They're they're gorgeous to keep. So that's that's my dream. So we finally found the sequel to Joe Exotic, the Tiger King, Nazreen Abdelmajid, <laughs> the Lion Queen. Although Disney might have something to say about that in terms of uh, copyright infringement. In fact, I bet you Disney's already working on that reimagining yeah. of the Lion King in real time because you know uh, the mouse is very inclusive. Uh, John. I've often said that my spirit animal is the alligator, lazy until they're hungry, which really, really speaks to me. 
I know there are gator farms in the southern part of America, and I'm not all the way opposed to being a gator farmer, but I think if I was trying to keep it a little safer, what about like an otter farm, like an otter farm mm -hmm. or a seal farm? I mean, obviously I can't keep wal walruses in Saskatoon based on your city's bylaws, but what about you? What are some of the exotic animals that you think you might want to be a caregiver of? So when I'm distracting myself from the freelance journalism and, and emails I should be sending, I sometimes watch those, uh, you know, sort of five minute YouTube clips from the Dodo and related sites about, you know, animals that end up in weird places or, you know, pit bulls with one eye or something. And one of the ones that I saw recently was uh, somebody had an owl. And, and I really, yeah. you know, appreciate the skills that go into beekeeping. And also there's some wonderful work being done within the province from some nonprofits around making sure that bird species in our provinces uh, stay alive. So um, I think that's where my, my brain and my heart goes. John, I think you might have uh, intrigued the ears of Nazreen's bird Fifi because Fifi started speaking up right in the middle of your answer. No, Fifi is not here. She's oh. not in my building. She's not my parents. I, I heard a bird. I heard a, it, might just, <laughs> it might just be residual bird in, in Nizreen's life. Okay, so John, you mentioned in terms of some of these Saskatoon rules, uh, no chickens. Mm -hmm. That was a big controversy in Ottawa a couple of years ago when a woman in Orleans got her backyard chickens taken away. John, I really see the merit of having like two or three chickens, fresh eggs every day. Mm-hmm. I think the fear, and, and I'm not an animal bylaw control officer person, <laughs> but I think the concern is that it only takes one fool getting a rooster, and oh, then your yes. whole neighborhood gets woken up at 5.30 in the morning, and uh, the prairies, just like anybody else, can be cranky at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, John, you mentioned the Dodo, the uh, great digital uh, ch content channel, uh, and some of the odd animal stories they do. I'll never forget the one about a woman who adopted a beaver and named it Justin Beaver, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, Nazreen, what are you thinking now? You got, you're, you're like condo living now. What are you going to do? You're an, you're an animal person, but now you're in a condo. There's rules. Well, we're thinking of owning a turtle now. We're, we're we're one of those people that are unique. First, we we owned ducks, but um, I, as you said, there's some places that were taken away, so we didn't we didn't realize in our area in Guelph that we weren't allowed to have ducks, so we had to give them away. So maybe turtle now in our little building. Ah, oh, turtles turtles are a good pet. I had a turtle once as a pet that was adorable. Nizreen, John, thank you both. Nizreen, welcome back from your honeymoon. Lovely to have you back aboard. That's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry, things come back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern time. The news panel is going to tackle tuition increases for Quebec students. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 
Hi, I'm Ramya Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.